Welcome to another edition of Hit The Lights podcast. I have a very special guest with me today, Karen Boom. How are you? Hi. Uh, yeah, not too bad. Going a bit going a bit stir-crazy in the lockdown, but things could be a lot worse. Yeah. Are you managing to kind of do paperwork or anything like that whilst you're... Um, yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird situation because um, as I've got a limited company and I am furloughed, technically I'm not supposed to actually do anything business related while I'm furloughed. Mm. Uh, but obviously, as a company director, I've got responsibilities like accounting and um, you know giving returns to HMRC. So there's a certain amount of stuff that I still have to do. I'm just really winding. I'm just really contacting people who were booked in to let them know that their jobs have been deferred. And, yeah, just uh, tidying my desk up, really, putting things to one side and thinking about plans for, you know, when things get going again, how we're going to move forward. Yeah, I think it's that indefinite date, isn't it, really, that nobody knows when that will be. Yes. It makes that more difficult to plan even, doesn't it? It makes it difficult to plan and also from a financial point of view, although, you know, we've been given some um, information about government assistance, it's still very much uncertain at the moment and obviously... It's not going to be straight away. So it's making sure that from a cash flow point of view, trying to put things in place. I mean, um, I haven't yet started to contact my people that I you know, usually pay money to. Um, however, I know that there are some suppliers that are being really great and putting, you know, like a holiday period in place for payments. So... I think hopefully what will come out of all of this at the end of it is how we all sort of pull together and try to make it better for each other rather than try to make a profit out of a disastrous situation, really. Yeah, there are some companies, aren't there, that are already kind of being flagged up for being opportunistic or not supporting their employees. Definitely, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think probably the public will remember those people and those companies. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I my son, my son uh, has been um, told to work from home, which is fine. And we're in a, a lucky position. I've got an office that I'm now not using that he can yeah. sit <laughs> and uh, carry out his work. Um, but as part of what he does, we need a, a Wi-Fi extender um, so that he can connect up all of his technology. Mm. Um, so... I did have a Wi-Fi extender in one part of the house, which I've now moved into the office for him, and that's great. Um, but I'm now in a position where I need a second Wi-Fi extender. And when I've gone on to Amazon to order it today, it's actually doubled in price from last month when I bought it. Right. So things like that that you just think, oh, okay, but then I guess everybody's sitting at home now and wanting Wi-Fi extenders because basically everyone's on the internet. Yeah, I did see um, an article today about potentially all the data caps being removed temporarily. Um, yeah. So nobody would get charged, which seems sensible as we're all going to be using it. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a good thing, at least. Probably back onto your beginnings then. And 
can you tell us a little bit about how you came to enter the electrical industry? Yeah, um, so about nine years ago now, I was in a position where I needed to find a Sparky and um, I couldn't really get a great response from anybody. It was, you know, a few small jobs that I needed doing and I was a bit dismayed really with the um, response that I got from people that I called, people said they were going to come around and didn't or if they did come they never quoted and if they did quote it, it took ages to come and it seemed a bit you know just half-hearted really and um I thought well is there a gap in the market for somebody to you know initially I just really wanted to get involved in doing small jobs because um it seemed that there definitely was a gap in the market for somebody to do that where I lived so I set about trying to find out how I could get involved in the industry. And obviously, as a 40 year old person and also being a woman, again, I just found that incredibly challenging because obviously the traditional route is apprenticeship. And I, that really wasn't an option for me because um, nobody was going to take on a 40 year old apprentice. And anyway, I couldn't afford the, the salary drop. I looked at doing a course, obviously the very the very frowned upon short courses um, were slightly different then in that you know they were they were fewer and further between um, than they are have been in recent years. but anyway, I found a course, I signed up for it, and I didn't do it all in one go. I kind of spaced it out over the period of a year because it was a lot of information to take on and I'd got two young children at the time. Mm. So I kind of stretched that out for a year and tried to consolidate my learning with research online and chatting to other people. And then I qualified and got all these bits of paper and thought, oh, what am I going to do now? <laughs> because... Mm there's a massive difference between learning in the classroom and obviously being out in people's homes where things are kind of going wrong mm. um and I was really lucky because through social media actually I, I found um another Sparks who had been working for a builder and um he wanted to get away from working for the builder and set up on his own and he he'd been Sparky in for 10 years so he had a lot of experience, but no customers. And I very quickly had a big customer base because um, in the in the town that I live in, I've done a lot of voluntary work and just been involved in lots of different organisations. So people found out what I was doing. And obviously, you know, the word can travel very quickly nowadays with all the, you know, internet things that we've got going on. So people, my phone actually started ringing as soon as I qualified and I hadn't even advertised Mm. Um, because people were desperate for somebody to just come and do stuff and I was really quite overwhelmed actually um, but anyway so <clears throat> I basically would go out and look at jobs and then get the other Sparky to come with me and that's kind of how She's Electric started so I got amazing sort of on-the-job training which is priceless really and really I was a bit like an apprentice because um, in the early days I was doing a lot of watching and not a lot of doing and then obviously that 
balance tips a bit more and then I became more confident and was going out and doing small bits on my own and it grew from there really yeah I mean that's probably the typical experience of, of most apprentices isn't it really it's yeah that, that gradual increasing of responsibility and learning yeah absolutely um, so if you don't mind me asking what was your previous career prior to joining the trade well um I gave up my previous career when the children came along and I was working for a um, an international law firm and I was um, global head of IT training. Um, but when I decided to start a family, I kind of knew that all the traveling that I was doing wasn't really going to be practical if I wanted to bring my children up. Um, mm. So I'd kind of already at that point decided that that was a career that wasn't going to work um uh so yeah but that's where I kind of left off then I had a little bit of a career break then I had a bit of a midlife crisis and and then I kind of fell into electrics so yeah it's been a mixed bag have you found there's any skills you've transferred from your previous life into your current role well massively because um training is all about communicating with people and it's all about helping people understand things. And I think as electricians, we do a lot of that day in, day out. You know, people generally don't understand electrics. And so when something goes wrong or when they're planning to have an extension bill and then they, they need advice or they need guidance or support, this is something that electricians do probably that they don't realise they're doing it, but we're doing it all the time. Um yeah, managing people's expectations, again, that's a very transferable skill across all careers, really. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I just, again, I think for me, it's that sense of helping people and being useful, you know, um, is it, something that I had doing the training, which I'm still getting now as an electrician. So, Obviously, you've kind of briefly touched on being a woman in the industry. So what are the, it's a two-part question. So what are the typical challenges that women and yourself have faced in the industry? And have you seen things improve during your time in the industry? Um, Typical challenges for me are, I have to say, I think I've been fairly lucky and I, I haven't, really experienced much chauvinism or anything like that you know I can't say that there's anybody out there that's been really horrible to me because they don't think that I should be doing what I'm doing I think one thing that I will say because obviously I sit on a lot of the women's chat forums on social media and I do get a lot of young women and more mature females that do contact me and say oh how are you doing and I've had this happen to me and I've had that happen to me I think because I'm older I think people are more respectful I'm Mm. not sure as a young girl entering the industry now that that would be the case so I think um for me I've always just got on and been me so I don't really tend to dwell on that side of things too much if that makes sense yeah no, that's probably good advice as well uh, so in terms of 
I mean, probably my experience is obviously I'm I'm on Tideway, um, a large construction project, which has made large efforts to actually probably making nigh on 50% of the workforce women. Right. And I think it's definitely a change has occurred during my time um, in the industry from when I joined about 15 years ago to being 99% male to where it is now where I'm on a large project with thousands of people and at least 50% are women. Yes, that's that's great. So yeah, I think there's there's definite improvements coming. What what are some of the things that can be done still to improve the situation for women? Well, I think for me, one thing that's glaringly obvious, um, having you know had, I've got a 21 year old and an 18 year old, so they've come through the education system, and I I think that from the education system's point of view, there's definitely not enough guidance given to people that may want to pursue a career in trades because it's it's always the thing that gets talked about as being something that you'll only ever be guided towards if you're not clever enough to do anything else Mm. Um, it's not something that you know is really given a lot of exposure in secondary school I don't think Um, having said that I do also feel that maybe the apprenticeship model needs to be looked at. I mean, you know, I've got a highly intelligent young daughter and the apprenticeship model to her doesn't really look very appealing. You know, she's going to be paid not very much money um, for however many years, whereas she could do an apprenticeship maybe at a bank where she's going to be paid a lot more money and she's going to be, you know, earning while she's learning and come out of it with potentially a degree. Mm. So, yeah, I do think that maybe the apprenticeship model could be, you know, tweaked slightly. I'm not really sure whose responsibility that would be or where to go to find out more information about that. Um, but um, if we don't do something soon, the situation's only going to get worse, not better. Mm. Is, is it something you've developed in your own company in terms of having apprentices? Well, I've only had one trainee um, and she was uh, female and she was more mature and she found me on social media, uh, which is great. Now, she she was with me for a year. She'd completed her level three with me. She'd already done level one and level two at night school. And that's great. As a as a as a one man band myself, the apprenticeship thing doesn't really work because I I've got young children. Say young children, they're slightly older now. But sometimes I need to be not at work, and it's always a challenge. Like if I want if I want to only work three days a week, let's say for the next four weeks, I've got to find something for the apprentice to do. Mm. Um, and also as a as a limited company I've got you know financial obligations towards that apprentice um, and maybe you know if work is not as buoyant as it could be that's that's a massive concern for me because I don't have a massive amount of cash flow in my business um, so up until now having an actual apprentice is not something that I have really considered 
Mm. I think there is, uh, like you say, a responsibility to it that if you are going to commit to employing someone, it, it does need to be taken seriously no matter what their age. Absolutely, um, and, yeah. And what they're supporting, yeah. Um, in terms of your business then, do you mainly cover domestic work? Yes, well, 99% of my work is domestic. I mean, I can go and look at some commercial stuff. I've got somebody that I can um, sort of pass that work on to. But, yeah, I'm, there's plenty of um, domestic work in the town that I live in to keep me busy. So I'm lucky I don't really have to travel very far. And it's it's much more suited to my skill set. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't really consider doing commercial, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, no, that's wise. Obviously, some people try to grow their businesses quite quickly and obviously commercial has higher revenues, but also higher risk. Yes. And, and if that's something you're not willing to do, then obviously, yeah, stay within your own skill set and, yeah, manage it properly. Yes, definitely. So what do you enjoy most about your job and about the industry? I, like I said, I really like helping people. I get a massive sense of satisfaction out of making things work that weren't working or, you know, hearing how pleased people are that things look better because of something that I've done. Um, when I when I was um, younger, <laughs> mm. uh, in my 20s, I actually wanted to be, um, to join the police. Mm. Um, but I couldn't because I was too short. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because in those days, there was actually a height restriction, and I'm only five foot tall. So um, I was like, oh, I was actually gutted because I really, really wanted to do that. But mm. they said to me, <clears throat> but you can be a special constable. I was like, oh, okay then. So there's no height restriction for special constables. Mm. But um, I did that for about five years in my 20s, and I absolutely loved it um, because it's, you know, it's, it's, Again, it's communicating with people, it's conflict resolution, it's problem solving, it's all of that kind of stuff that is really the same as being an electrician. Um, to a lot of people, we are the fourth emergency service. Um, mm. Because when, you know, when, when electrical problems occur, especially for older people, they go into panic because they think that there's a a danger of fire or a danger of, you know, um, to themselves. Um, so, again, I just get a massive sense of satisfaction helping people. The industry, what do I love about the industry? I, I love the sense of community that there is within the industry. But yeah, get, get a big kick out of that. And I think that as that community we should be championing the industry more and so that we raise the sort of you know raise the level of the younger generation's respect for being in a great trade because I think that kind of is diminished a little bit in recent years um I don't really understand the reason for that you know when I was when I was a young star tradespeople were held in great respect you know it's almost like they were magicians because they could do stuff that other people couldn't and now it just seems to be this sort of it's a bit of a stigma it's a bit oh you know you're a sparky so that's because you only did that because you weren't clever enough to do anything else also people seem to be desperate to haggle on price mm. all the time you know which kind of like is a little bit demoralizing 
because there's a lot of you know there's a lot of expenses involved in being fully qualified and running a successful business you know you've got you've got ongoing training especially with all the new you know emerging renewable technologies that are coming on board um and those things you know have to be paid for so yeah i think we should be mm. you know pr- i think we should be proud yeah definitely we 100 percent should um in terms of changing public perception how do you think we could potentially change that well that's a difficult one because unfortunately there are companies out there that will always be you know driven by price and not quality of service Mm. um so yeah i just think it's about educating the public a bit more really um because you know i sometimes go and quote for a job and obviously i am fully qualified fully insured you know registered with a with a scheme provider and i want to do everything i do to 100% comply with the regs not cut corners and that's my that's my level of service and unfortunately there are some companies out there that will maybe bend the regs to interpret their level of the service that they want to provide and you know come in cheaper um and that's a tricky one because the public don't know any better so yeah maybe more more campaigns more better education i mean some people a part p's been around for a number of years now and some people aren't even aware of it in your daily life as a as a normal person you don't really see anything electrical being advertised or talked about you know you've got the um i can't remember what they're called now you know the people that do all the the promotion of electric safe or whatever it used to be called and now it's something different oh, electrical safety first that's right i mean well what's happened to them i haven't seen or heard anything from them for ages yeah, no, I see. I think I follow them on social media and you occasionally see tweets put out and bits and pieces, but they really do need like to up their marketing and, you know, get televised adverts, primetime TV and yeah. and make the public aware that sitting on um, issues within your house or getting them done as cheaply as possible is not necessarily the safest and most efficient way to manage your house. No, absolutely not. Um, so, obviously, kind of, we are kind of talking about what we'd like to see from the industry. Is there anything else you'd like to see introduced, whether that's long term or short term? One of the things that's obviously a hot topic at the moment is electric vehicle charging, and that's kind of been a bit of a bit of a calamity from a lot of people's perspectives. Why is that? Well, because. Um, really a lot there's a lot to consider and there's a lot to comply with when you're doing those kind of installs and again unfortunately I think the public have been a little bit misled about certain things um a lot of people assume that you can you know oh well the car salesman said I can just plug it in right well how old you my questions would be well how old is your wiring and you know what 
regulations do your consumer unit comply with? Because um, the, the car salesman doesn't say, yes, Mrs. Smith, you can just plug it in. Assuming that your fuse board complies with the current regulations, you know, of the wiring regs and also the current regulations concerning electric vehicle charging, which may require a different type of RCD to be installed. And also you need a dedicated circuit back to your fuse board, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because if they said all that, I think people would think twice about the cost of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's almost always in the small print, isn't it? It's always in the small print. And unfortunately, it's down to us on the front line to educate the customer who then sometimes think that you're just trying to make work. Mm. But what, what I have to consider is if, if the work that I do does not comply with everything that I've got to comply with, my insurance is invalid. Yeah, and I've, I've seen instances on social media where people are loosely following the requirements in that well i've given them a socket it's up to them if they want to use it for car charging yeah and there has to be that responsibility you have yes. to take yeah we can't just bend the rules to make it work when it suits us we have to absolutely and also yeah. a lot of you know obviously we've got the olev grant well, that was £500. It's now being reduced to £350. Um, and I, you know, I went and did the electric vehicle car charging course. And I basically came away after sort of speaking to some other Sparks and people in the know that really it wasn't worth my while getting involved in it as things stood at that moment in time. Because, because really for me to install a charge point, depending on the the situation of the you know each individual install is different but on a typical install including all the paperwork that is required for these charge points somebody like me would be looking at a minimum of a day potentially a day and a half to complete all that work and to comply with everything okay and then I've got to take the hit of the 500 pounds the customer doesn't take that hit. The car manufacturer doesn't take the hit. I've got to take the hit. And then I've got to wait, I think it's like 11 weeks uh, to get that £500 back. And I've heard lots of stories where O-Level are saying that they won't pay because the paperwork isn't quite right. Okay, I thought that responsibility sat with the homeowner. No, sits with the Sparky. Okay. And then... So there's, and then you've got companies that have sprung up. I mean, if you do a, if you Google um, electric charge point in, installation, you'll be flooded with adverts of companies that are claiming that they can install you a charge point for, I don't know, 700 quid. But you've got to bear in mind that, you know, I did, I had, somebody actually phoned me last week to say that, they because they asked me if I'd install a charge point and I said I said no I'm, I'm, it's not something I'm getting involved in so they then phoned one of these companies I said look to be honest with you you're better off it, it'll be far cheaper for you to have it done by a company that specializes in doing that so they phoned the company it, their advertisement is from 700 pounds um 
which sounds okay because the customer is going to get 500 of that back. So that's mm. that's all right, isn't it? So it's good value for money. Mm. But they phoned the company and they did like a, an on-the-phone assessment. They asked them questions about their current consumer unit and they asked them questions about where they wanted the point installed and what was the proximity to the consumer unit and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which was quite time-consuming and long-winded. And they asked them to send photographs. And then um, they said they'd, they'd go away and come up with a quotation. And it was over double. It was over double right. the, the initial. And, you know, this is what people don't realise. It's not just, you can't just look at, I'm sitting here now on my computer and I've got a socket to the left of me and that's on an external wall. But you can't just put another socket the other side of it and say, oh, that's my electric car charging point. It's just that it doesn't work like that. No, yeah. So, so it's a minefield. It is, yeah. Um, are there any other aspects that, of that that you're kind of keen to avoid? Obviously, we're going to face a time when everybody's is probably going to go mad for car chargers. Um, is that something you, you just will not capitalise on at all in the future? Or... Well, it may change. And also what we've got to remember is that technology is changing every day. So as the technology changes, you know, because some of these car chargers, not all not all of these charge points are the same. You know, each Mm. manufacturer has got something slightly different. And you'll you'll hear people talk about, you know, needing an earth rod and some of them don't need an earth rod. Um this technology is changing all the time some of these car charging points i understand don't actually have a bs number even so how can they be installed it's just it blows my brain and yes getting involved in car charging is something that i might go down the route of but hopefully a lot of these problems that were challenges that we're facing right now might not exist this time next year Um, is one thing you know they might simplify the whole system the OLEV grant will be scrapped anyway and so all of this paperwork that we're all filling out will become no longer required Mm. Um, so yeah I mean you know I my my mantra for life is one day at a time and actually with the electrical industry it's very much like that because the things that we might be arguing about today won't be even we won't be worrying about it next year because something else will come along to you know (laughs) deplete our energy and give us something to moan about so yeah it's changing all the time the other thing that we've got to consider with the with the car charging thing is um where's the capacity going to come from no there's three of us that live here and we've all got cars so if they were all electric would how would that work um Mm. Yeah, I, I saw I saw a post online. I think it was on LinkedIn from whether someone at National Grid or National Grid had posted this on on their website actually um, that they believe there is sufficient capacity in the network for yeah. everyone to have a car. But that that is fine. But does everyone's distribution board at home have capacity for, like you say, two or three cars? Um, yes. And the, the answer is probably no. And no. That's a, it's a serious amount of electrical work that's going to be needed by the industry at a time when we have a skill shortage. Absolutely. 
and that's even before you've started to talk about electric heating because you know in new builds we're not we're no longer going to be having gas heating so that's going to be you know another demand uh, that we've got to think about mm. so yeah it's going to be inter- it's going to be i think the next 10 years are going to be very interesting for the industry in terms of like skills and meeting the demand yeah it was a obviously it was a shame obviously with everything going on that we unfortunately lost the IET competence for electricians um, yes event. yes um hopefully, hopefully fingers crossed that 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 can actually make some strides to the right effect within oh, the definitely. industry yeah yeah because something needs to change I don't think we can kind of limp along as we are at the moment you know there's a lot of infighting that goes on and it'd be great if you know things could be just simplified and made you know there there was a bit of a a, you know a clearer structure to everything because I think we're in within the industry there's a lot of confusion and that's before you start asking the general public what they think because they 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 just they're just completely oblivious so um yeah Mm. hopefully within the next few years a lot of these things will get sorted out because it's exhausting (laughs) yeah so that's probably leads on to another good question how do you manage with everything you've got to do in terms of running a business doing the work the paperwork how do you manage your cpd moving forward well obviously i've done a few courses in the last 12 months i've done um like i say the electric vehicle charging i've done um obviously 18th edition um i've done a home automation course with um lightwave that was quite good sorry what did that involve um it was um it well uh, lightwave they are a manufacturer that uh smart home technology so switches and sockets basically Mm. um designed for retrofit mainly but can also be put into new builds and um it basically allows you to through alexa or any of the other sort of automated systems you know turn your lights on and off turn your sockets on and off Mm. etc etc so that was just a course that i chose to do um because obviously home automation is becoming a big thing now it's Mm. a thing that people want um but that was good because i recently got involved in a project uh, on uh, as a result of that um which was for a lady who is wheelchair bound and she has cerebral palsy and um yeah she's she's now got much better sort of assisted living because um she can tell alexa to do everything um Mm. and so that's massively changed her life yeah no i suppose we always think about the lazy solution of the slob sitting on the bed can't be asked to get out and turn the lights on yes but actually the those solutions are going to have uh, wide impacts for disabled and uh, people who you know struggle with home life massively but it also all of these things like the smart home technology and smart switches you know we've got kinetic switches now haven't we and these are like i was saying to my trainee when she was with me you know, you're entering the industry at a time which is really exciting because you can provide solutions for people that 10 years ago never existed. I mean, now, if you know, I can I can 
go down to the bottom of the garden in my shed and put some lights in, put a receiver down there and install a kinetic switch in my kitchen, which turns them on. Mm. I don't have to run a switch line. You know, so that's that's fantastic because it's less work for me, less cost to the customer. Um, Yeah, and like you look at how smart lamps have evolved in the last few years. So now, you know, you can do away, you, you can... You know, you can do away with the need for two-way switching because you can switch it from your phone. Mm. Is that something you've employed in your own home now? Oh, I've got I've got a few smart lamps. I must admit, it's going to sound really <laughs> weird, but I'm a bit of a technophobe. Like, <laughs> I like to do things myself. I like to switch the lights on and off. Yeah. Um, but seriously, I mean, the kids love it, you know. My daughter's got an LED smart color changing lamp in her room, you know, and she thinks it's fantastic. And obviously there's a lot of video doorbells going in at the moment. And that's, you know, great technology for a lot of people, especially people that live on their own and, you know, people that are vulnerable. They can see who's at the door and and that's great. Yeah, Um, definitely. So I think we've probably had a, a good chat. I do have one last question. Okay. What's your favourite movie? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Do you know what? My favourite movie is actually Battleship. Battleship. I've not yeah. heard of that one. Oh, you should watch it. Um, okay, so um, Rihanna's in it. Oh, yes. I, well, I know of it. I haven't seen it. Oh, you should watch it. I just, I just love it. Um, it comes across a bit like when i watched the um the previews it came across a bit um starship troopers uh, no it's not really like that, that. i it, i it actually is a you know behind all of the action it's actually quite a good story mm. um so that's that's why i like it really it just yeah can watch it over and over Closely followed by all of the Lord of the Rings, all of the Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> no best then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm going to, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, obviously over the next few weeks, I think I'm going to be watching a lot of them all over again. Yeah, no, yeah, kill a lot of time watching the Lord of the Rings series. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, lovely. All right, thanks a lot for your time today, Karen. It's been uh, lovely chatting with you. Pleasure. And uh, thank you everyone for listening.